When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode of Red or Dead is sponsored by TBR, Book Riot's subscription service offering tailored book recommendations for readers of all stripes. Stuck at home with nothing to read and unable to browse the bookstore? Let us help. Tell TBR about your reading preferences and what you're looking for and sit back while your bibliologist handpicks recommendations just for you. TBR offers plans to receive hardcover books in the mail or recommendations by email, so there's an option for every budget. TBR is produced in partnership with Print, a bookstore in Portland, Maine, so you can treat your shelf and support a local indie too. You can visit mytbr.co to sign up today. That's mytbr.co. Welcome to Red or Dead, a bi-weekly podcast where we talk about the world of mysteries and thrillers. This is episode 77, and we are recording on Tuesday, May 5th. I am Katie McLean Horner, along with Rincey Abraham, and we're coming to you from Book Riot. Hi, Katie. Happy Cinco de Mayo. It is Cinco de Mayo, isn't it? I got thrown off because we made pasta for dinner tonight. (laughs) (laughs) The main reason why I remembered is because my sister went to the grocery store specifically to buy things so she can make tacos. She made tacos and churros. I was very impressed. So uh, that's the main reason why I knew what I mean, honestly, who knows what day it is ever anymore. So she remembered (laughs) that it was Cinco de Mayo. Yeah, I do remember some of my coworkers talking about it being Cinco de Mayo. And then I was thinking that if I were still at work, I would be walking down to the taco place. It's literally a block from my library. They have such good food there. Oh my gosh, it is so, the tacos are amazing. And I I actually get like the burrito bowl, basically, but I just like load it up with stuff. It's so stinking good. And it made me very sad that I was not able to partake this year. Oh, yeah. I know. That's like the, you know, one of the many bad things about the current situation that we're living in. But I mean, hopefully soon. (laughs) Or, you know, just like, make an order to go and drive it back. Although that's probably a pain of the pain in the butt, (laughs) considering your work and your home are not necessarily super close to each other. Nope, they're not. It's a half hour. (laughs) Half hour away. And the tacos are good, but I'm not driving an hour to get tacos. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but the pasta that we made was very good. I found a recipe for vodka sauce Ooh. that that I made. And considering it was my first attempt, I thought it was pretty tasty. So I am satisfied with that, that we had Italian food on Cinco de Mayo. Yeah. When we order pasta from Portillo's, not per- like Portillo's Italian side, this is a very specific Chicago <laughs> comment. I know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> but Barnelli's has a really amazing like vodka sauce pasta thing that I like adore so much. So it's sometimes when we're catering, catering for parties and stuff like that, I'm always like, get the vodka sauce. I have never had their vodka sauce, even though we have a Portillo's like five minutes down the road, I might have to try this. Oh, I definitely recommend it. Mm. Now I'm hungry again. <laughs> Hopefully you have some leftovers that you can dig oh, into yeah. later. We got plenty of sauce left over. <laughs> there you go. All right. So uh, before we jump into the episode and stop talking about food a little bit, um, I have our first sponsor, and that is Libro FM. 
Libro FM lets you purchase audiobooks directly from your favorite local independent bookstore at the same price as Audible for a monthly membership. You can pick from more than 150,000 audiobooks, including New York Times bestsellers and some of the hottest new audiobook releases like Such a Fun Age by Kylie Reid, Untamed by Glennon Doyle, and Wow No Thank You by Samantha Irby, as well as like The Glass Hotel by Emily St. John Mandel. Or, you know, if you want some mystery books, I'm pretty sure that whatever mystery book you want is also going to be on Libro FM. Um, listeners of Red or Dead can get a three-month audiobook membership for the price of one month. And so you can head to Libro.fm and use the code BR3 to get three months of audiobooks for the price of one. So thanks so much to Libro.fm for sponsoring this episode. All right. So welcome back to all of you lovely listeners. It means a lot to us to have all of you continuing to listen to us in these troubled times. It makes us very happy. So if you are new to the show, we talk about mysteries and suspense and true crime and thrillers and movie adaptations and pretty much anything that falls under that mysterious umbrella. Um, So um, yeah, we always use this time at the beginning of the show to put out a call to our listeners. If you have any ideas for us um, for future episodes, please do let us know. We always put our contact information at the end of the show, um, but we always like to issue the invitation um, up front. And we do, we actually have a backlog of emails that we have gotten from a lot of people over the last few weeks. So we really appreciate all of you writing in and giving us ideas. We are going through the ideas and planning future episodes with them. Um, so thank you very much to everyone who has reached out to us. We really appreciate it. And even if you don't have an idea of what to talk about on the show, um, you know, if you're not interested, if there isn't like a subgenre you're interested in, if you're looking for reading recommendations or anything like that, if you just want to say hi, we're totally down with that too. We like saying hi to people. So with that, I guess we should uh, jump into our news segment. And I, Rincey, I guess you'll lead it off with the biggest news to come out of the mystery world over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I mean, it's the end of April always is the uh, announcement of the Edgar Award winners. And so, of course, like they weren't able to have like the official ceremony and everything like that. But this year, they basically did like a live presentation on Twitter. And then they had all of the winners do little video speeches and they put them up on their YouTube channel. So that's actually kind of cool. I really like that sort of aspect of it. Like at least one sort of highlight is that we're able to see sort of like those behind the scenes things a little bit more or at least see like the author's acceptance speeches and stuff like that. So if you are a fan of mystery books, the Edgar Awards are probably the biggest ones here in the United States. And so the winners are up now. Just really quickly, the winner of best novel was The Stranger Diaries by Ellie Griffiths. The best first novel by an American author was Miracle Creek by Angie Kim, which, you know, Katie and I both adored and so super excited for that one. Best paperback original, The Hotel Never Sink by Adam O'Fallon Price. And uh, best like fact crime or like true crime is The Less People Know About Us, A Mystery of Betrayal, Family Secrets and Stolen Identity by Axton Betts Hamilton. Um, There are a lot of other categories here, but Katie and I talked about this when the nominees came out. The best first novel category, in our opinion, was like the most interesting slash exciting category. Very excited. Miracle Creek won. Um, 
but congratulations to Ellie Griffiths as well. I've been hearing good things about that book, uh, The Stranger Diaries, so very exciting to see it win. Um, so yes, there will be a link in the show notes to the full list of winners, so you guys can check that out, as well as a link to uh, the YouTube channel, so you can check out the speeches if you're interested. Yeah, I was... Super excited to see that Miracle Creek won. I mean, like you said, you and I have been Muppet arming about this book ever since it came out. And for me, I always feel like this was this was the first book like I had I had read it shortly after I started at my new job. And I just remember coming back and just telling all of my brand new coworkers, I'm like, you've got to read this book. And because that was like, I was still getting to know people. I remember and that was just kind of my first incident of like, them experiencing my Muppet arming mood. I feel slightly validated to see if I like, see it won in Edgar. I told you it was good. <laughs> yeah, it's always like a nice validating thing when a book you love ends up winning like big awards like that. But honestly, like Merrill Creek, I feel like is one of those books I've been like blanket recommending to people like, oh, you're interested in a book recommendation. Have you heard of Milk Creek? <laughs> Have you read that one yet? Because <laughs> I feel like you'll like it. Because I really feel like it's good enough and crosses so many sort of areas and like almost subgenres within mysteries and fiction that it has something that appeals to a lot of different people. And it's done so well that, yeah, definitely deserves the award. For sure. All right. And then I get to do basically like two of the big news things for the episode. But the other exciting thing is that we talked about this when it, it was like officially like the news leaked basically, but it's now official. Tana French's new book is on the way. It's coming out um, on October 6th. And there was a interview on Entertainment Weekly with Tana French talking about the book, as well as an excerpt. I didn't read the excerpt because I don't really like reading excerpts in general, but especially for Tana French books, it just makes me sad because I'll just want to read all of it. Um, so <laughs> if you haven't already, mark your calendars for October 6th. That is when The Searcher is coming out. Some of the details uh, we talked about a little bit earlier, but a quick sort of synopsis. This is the book that Tana French was talking about as describing as like her take on a Western story. It's centered on Cal, who is a 25-year-old divorcee and a veteran of the Chicago Police Department. So yay, Chicago. Like I never would have guessed Chicago would have had anything to do with anything Tana French ever wrote. But anyways, um, he <laughs> is um, divorced and is deci- deciding to retire in like a village in Ireland. And he gets like pulled into a case when someone alerts him to his brother's disappearance. And then, you know, it gets dark and crazy from there, I'm sure. Um, so it's a, this is a really good interview. I highly recommend checking it out. She talks a lot about uh, the witch elm. And she says how after writing the witch elm, which was like super depressing, she decided she wanted to write something that wasn't as depressing as the witch elm. Um, so you know, if the witch elm was like a little bit too dark for you, maybe this one will be a little bit better for you. But this is also another standalone book. So yeah, very, very excited as you all are sure are aware. And Katie and I both have already like probably pre-ordered this book because there's no way we're <laughs> waiting to get this one. Oh God, no. And in fact, I'm, I've got my eyes out on NetGalley and all the web and Edelweiss for the advanced digital copy. Like the last, I've been able to read at least the last two ton of French novels ahead of publication, possibly the last three, I can't remember exactly. And gosh darn it, I'm going to read this one before it comes out. So help me God. (laughs) (laughs) But yes, we do always pre-order them so that we can have our nice set of matching hardcovers. Well, not totally matching, but they're all, we have all of her books in hardcover sitting proudly on our bookshelves. Um, And 
Yeah, and of, of course we want to support Tana French and her magical unicorn writing ways. Yep. Oh, all right. Well, <laughs> enough of that. Um, the last few news items that we have are, eh, they lean a little bit more towards the horror end of the spectrum, but they're close enough that we figured we'd throw them in anyway. So real quick, there is a sequel coming up to the original Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark film that came out last year. I have not seen it yet, but it has been on my list of movies to rent in quarantine. Um, because as soon as the trailer came out, I'm like, this looks incredibly creepy. And if I say something looks creepy, you can take that to the bank. It just looked like a lot of creepy fun. And so even though I haven't seen the first one yet, I am excited to see that it did well enough for a second one to come out. And although they don't have a ton of information about the plot or the cast, a lot of the production crew and um, like the director and some of the producers um, are being brought back for the second movie. So hopefully... If you saw the first one and thought it was really entertaining, hopefully the second one is just as entertaining. And then after that, um, it seems like every episode we have news about a Stephen King adaptation. And the latest adaptation news for him is that The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon is going to be adapted for film. Um, there really isn't any significant information attached to this announcement other than it is going to be happening. The Girl Who Loved Tom Gordon is one, is a really shockingly short book for Stephen King. It, I don't think it's under 200 pages, but it is definitely under 300. And I read it a long time ago, so I would have to reread it. But the basic gist of the story is that there's this girl who is, she's like nine or 10, something like that. And she gets lost in the woods um, from, she gets lost from her parents on a hiking trip. And so she has to fend for herself while hoping that there's a rescue team looking out for her. And while she is in the woods, she starts noticing creepy things. Um, and she also starts to kind of hallucinate that the baseball player, Tom Gordon, is kind of walking along with her and protecting her. Um, it w I remember enjoying it when I read it. I just don't remember the specific details. Um, so I'll have to reread that one. But, um, but yeah, so that one's going to be a movie as well. And then there is also a preview that we will post um, a trailer for Lovecraft Country, which is coming out in August on HBO. J.J. Um, Abrams and Jordan Peele are executive producing this series. This has been like the talk of the horror community for a long time since it was announced, and now they have their first trailer. And I am a I am just notoriously bad at watching trailers. So I haven't seen it yet, but everyone who has seen it says that it looks flippin' amazing. So we'll have a link to that trailer if you want to take a look at it. And then the rest of us can figure out, um, can start planning to activate our HBO subscriptions come August. <laughs> yeah, start making your plans now of all the things you haven't watched yet on HBO and just watch them all in August when Lovecraft Country comes out. Because, like, I watched the trailer and it looks really good. <laughs> all right, so that's all our news for this episode. So we're going to jump into the main discussion. So for this episode, I saw that it was actually the 100th anniversary of, like, Agatha Christie publishing uh, The Mysterious Affair of styles. Um, so if you head over to agathachristie.com, you can actually see there's like a section that's called 100 Years of Agatha Christie Stories. 
And so the page sort of like highlights the fact that The Mysterious Affair at Styles was the very first book that Agatha Christie published as a novel. And it obviously introduced Perot to the world and became, you know, one of the most famous detectives that's ever been written about. So the website talks about how they have planned like a whole bunch of different things in regards to Agatha Christie, including reading challenges. There's a new Perot novel coming out later this year written by Sophie Hanna, obviously. And then the death of the Nile is supposed to come out in the fall. You know, they haven't said that they plan on changing the date. But obviously, like all of those things are tentative, assuming how things are going in the world. But in general, this is the 100th anniversary. So if you weren't aware, the story was originally, it says completed in 1916, but it wasn't published until the 1920, until 1920. Um, beginning in February 1920, it was serialized in the Weekly Times, which was part of the Times. And then it was eventually like put together as a novel and published in the United States that fall and then published in the United Kingdom the next year. And then obviously this is you know, what sort of kickstarted everything for Agatha Christie. So we decided that it would be kind of like fun to read, or in my case, reread The Mysterious Affair at Styles in honor of that, because, you know, Perot is a giant detective in the mystery world. And like, this is sort of the book that introduces you to him and what he's like as a detective. And so I know we did like an Agatha Christie episode a couple of years ago when, um, Murder on the Orient Express, I almost forgot what that book was called, <laughs> came out in theaters. And so we thought it would just be fun to do another like quick little Agatha Christie. And th- in this one, we're, you know, reading the same book and can talk about it a little bit. And I, I'm pretty sure we won't get into spoilers. Like I feel like with Agatha Christie books, there's no such thing as spoilers outside of like just who did it. Um, so we probably won't really go into that detail. So as a, if you haven't read this one yet, and you're slightly concerned about that, I think it's pretty fair to say we won't give away spoilers, but we'll give you a heads up just in case we get close. But yeah, we just wanted to spend some time talking about Agatha Christie. All right, well, then I guess, before we spend some time talking about Agatha Christie in more detail. Um, I've got our second sponsor, which is Sourcebooks, which published the new novel The Sunday Girl by Pip Drysdale. And the book features Taylor Bishop, who is hurt, angry, and wants to destroy Angus Hollingsworth in the way that he destroyed her. Insidiously, irreparably, like a puzzle he'd slowly disassembled, stolen a couple of pieces from, and then discarded, knowing that nobody would ever be able to put it back together ever again. So Taylor consults the art of war and makes a plan, and then she takes the next irrevocable step, one that will change her life forever. So obviously things start to spiral out of her control, and then the Sunday girl just becomes impossible to put down. It's a tale of love gone wrong and revenge done right. So this book has been described as a mash of Girl on a Train meets Before I Go to Sleep with a dash of Bridget Jones. And it begs the question, what would happen if a good girl snapped? So if you liked recent novels like My Lovely Wife, um, Something in the Water, or The Wife Between Us, you will probably be super interested in this book. Um, Again, that is The Sunday Girl by Pip Drysdale, which is published by Sourcebooks, and we thank them very much for sponsoring this episode. And now let's jump into some Agatha Christie. Yeah. Who wants Who wants to start off? You, I read it for the first time, you read it for the not first time. <laughs> Yeah, it's only my second time. So and it has been a couple of years. I like went and checked my Goodreads. And I think I read in like 2013 originally, something along those lines. 
So, yeah, you can I want to hear your thoughts and opinions first as like someone who's coming into this book with like fresh eyes, so to speak. Yeah, you know, it's interesting because when we first did this podcast, when like in the first episodes, I admitted I had never read an Agatha Christie novel before. Um, I have read the murder at the Orient, uh, murder on the Orient Express. Um, we did talk about that in a previous episode. Um, and then I, I'm trying to remember if I might have read another one of her somewhere in there. I can't remember. This is definitely at least the second one I've read. It's interesting because for a lot of people who talk about Agatha Christie with you know, where they just love her books. A lot of them either grew up reading her or there's really some kind of like nostalgia factor, I think, attached to it. And when I read them, because I'm reading them as, you know, I read my first one when I was in my late 20s. Now I'm in my early 30s. I come at it not from an angle of nostalgia, but just kind of like, not detachment, but just kind of like, huh, that's interesting. Um, So I feel like I'm not experiencing these books in the way that so many people do. I'm kind of, I'm kind of reading them slightly detached, like, like as an observer, almost. I just think it's so interesting to read these books, which really helped popularize the mystery novel. I mean, this was this ushered in the golden age of crime. And these books, you know, and these types of stories, these whodunits, these puzzles, you know, they were so popular. And without these books, we probably would not have many, if any, of the books that we that we have nowadays. But it's so interesting to see how simply they started. I mean, the, like, when we talk about modern mystery novels, we talk about a lot about the characters and how a really, a lot of our favorite mystery novels are the ones where the characters are flawed, they're complicated, they have lots of different things going on, they're kind of messy, they're intriguing, they're funny. Whereas in an Agatha Christie novel, the characters are, you know, they're, they're like pieces on a chessboard. Like they're there to carry out the plot, but the mystery of what happened and how it happened, that's the reason why you're reading the book. And it's so it's so different for me to read a book that's that's written that way. Even books or movies nowadays that really take a lot of those same sensibilities. Like I was thinking of the movie Knives Out, which ha- which really it's a throwback to the traditional British mystery with the lone detective solving everything and then kind of gathering everyone together and explaining how they figured it out. Like, that's the backbone of the story, but the heart of that story comes from, yes, the mystery, but the characters and the humor and all of the other little things added into it. So I was just kind of doing this compare and contrast thing in my head a lot while I was while I was reading it. And I have to say, I found the narrator of the book to be really aggravating (laughs) because the story is told kind of like a Sherlock Holmes, Dr. Watson setup where the Poirot is not the one telling the story. It's someone who was with Poirot, who as he was solving the mystery and trying to assist him, this person who experienced everything but did not was not able to get inside Poirot's head as he was figuring this stuff out. This person is telling the story. And like on the one hand, 
Like, I, you obviously cannot be inside Poirot's head for these stories because he's, you know, he's making all of these leaps and he's he's connecting things and the fun of the story is for the reader to connect them or for the reader not to connect them and, re- and then find out what the solution is. So obviously you can't do that. But the the narrator, he was saying, he kept saying things like, oh, it's like if Poirot kept going on about this particular detail and I thought he must be mad. And I'm like, and he's already established that he and Poirot have a history, like going back, like he's seen him solve crimes before. He knows how he works. And so I'm like, why do you keep saying he's mad for focusing on a detail that you think is in- insignificant? He clearly knows more than you do. <laughs> Like, good Lord, stop. I'm like, just just admit you don't know what's going on. You haven't deduced what he did. And just you just go with it. Um, but yeah, there's lots of resistance to the idea that Poirot might have made a deduction that that the narrator hadn't, or he's like, this detail was insignificant. I'm like, it you know it's not insignificant. Come on now. But again, that's 2020 reader <laughs> reading this book from a hundred years ago. So take that take that comment with a grain of salt. But overall the mystery was the the mystery was intriguing. Um I definitely I'm terrible at putting at figuring out who done it. Like if I can figure out who done it ahead of time, the book was not written well. <laughs> I mean, and the other thing too is that when I read books like this, I like, as soon as a new character is introduced, I'm like, they did it. They did it. They did it. So I'm really like, so I mean, just just by sheer numbers, obviously, I figure out who did it just by going, because I say that for everyone. Um, but I don't I don't pick up the, the hows or the whys or anything like that. So the mystery was like, obviously, we will not do spoilers. But there's a couple of different things going on in this story. Obviously, not everything is as it seems. And when you got down to the heart of basically who the murderer was, there is part of that that didn't quite surprise me, and then part of it that did. So I was like, oh, oh, that's interesting. And then when when you hear or read Poirot explain everything, because that with these books, obviously at the end you have him gather everyone, and then he ultimately explains what happened, who did it, and how he deduced it. Um, so I was like, oh, okay, that makes sense. And last thing that I will mention is that the ebook version that I downloaded from my library um, actually had an alternative chapter towards the end in which Poirot explains the evidence, basically. In the one that was published... He does it in the traditional way, basically gathering everyone in the sitting room and then accusing the murderer to their face. But in the unpublished version, which in the ebook it said, if you want to read the published the published version of chapter 12, continue reading. If you want to read the unpublished version, tap here. So I ended up reading both versions. Um, but in the second version, or in the unpublished version, he presents all of his evidence in court in a trial, which I thought was really interesting because... That is not how these books tend to go. One of the cornerstones of these types of stories is that, you know, they they bring everyone together in one in one room. Like the detective calls everyone together and then explains it. This one, he presents it in a situation that's outside of his control a little bit. So I thought that was interesting that that was how she originally 
div- how she originally had it set up. Like, all of the evidence was still the same. It was just the environment in which he delivered the evidence. So I think that's really interesting that she initially had this different idea, but then went with this other other idea that ended up really becoming one of the cornerstones of that type of story. Um, so if you if you do read this book, see if you can get a copy that has both versions of the like the second to last chapter. I thought it was pretty cool. Yeah, that's fascinating. I had no idea about any of that because I just have like a physical copy of the book that I read. Yeah. Um, and I didn't know that because that's, yeah, like you said, that's considered like one of the hallmarks of these golden age mysteries and especially like the pearls and stuff like that. Like if you read a lot of them, you'll see like at the end, the big gathering of the crowd as he explains who exactly had done it and all of even explains like all of the other like little mini mysteries that he was able to figure out along the way as well. So that's fascinating for sure. Yeah. And I actually didn't know that that version of the ebook that I had downloaded had that until I got to the towards the end of the book. I was like, oh, Oh, that's interesting. I'm like, oh, and that explains why it was why it was more pages than I expected. Yeah, because like, if for the most part, uh, these books are on the short side. So yeah, if you find oh, yeah. one that's like looks like it's longer than it should be, then maybe it has that extra chapter. Um, yeah, I, it's fascinating listening to you talk about all of this, just because obviously, like I'm coming at this from a different angle. But a lot of things that you say are very true. Um, when you were talking about sort of watching or reading this book from like almost a detached perspective, it reminds me a lot of like how I feel when I'm watching classic movies. Like I remember watching Citizen Kane and being like, oh, I get it now. And it's less that like, I was enjoying the movie and more of me being like, oh, I see sort of how this influenced everything else that came after it slash all of the references that The Simpsons makes and stuff like that. So I have a feeling like I'm sure if you've never read Agatha Christie before, but you've read lots of other mystery books, reading Agatha Christie has like a very different experience. Um, I will also say personally, though, that like Perot's not my preferred detective when it comes to Agatha Christie books. I am a Miss Marple girl. So like when I'm reading Perot books, like a part of me is always rolling my eyes because I feel like Perot is so obnoxious sometimes. <laughs> so, he is. Yeah. So like I'm just like, ugh, Perot, come on. <laughs> like like he has that way of like talking about clues and evidence that's like very like in that vein of like Sherlock Holmes but I feel like it feels more like a modern Sherlock Holmes because I feel like modern Sherlock Holmes adaptations like really lean into the fact that like Sherlock is smarter than everyone else um and he like really rubs it in people's faces I guess it depends on the adaptation but um it feels like Perot is like really about that like he just does not understand why other people are not picking up on things the way that he's picking up on things and it's like just come on, Perot. You should just know, like, you see the world a little bit differently. You know this. You should, as an observant person, you sort of observe this by now. <laughs> um, but anyways, yeah. So I read this for the second time. And it was interesting because, like I said at the top, it was, it's been like six or seven years since I read this one specifically. So I didn't remember, like, all of the details of the story. But it is really interesting, like, when you know the who did it already, just sort of how... Agatha Christie lays out certain details and clues and sort of like the order of the things like being revealed and stuff like that. But yeah, it is very true that like the narrator seems like a little bit too heavy handed with his like inability to just go along with what Perot is doing especially since it, they supposedly had worked together before. But I was reading this like I didn't know that originally this was published in like serial form. 
until I saw like the 100 years of Agatha Christie um, website and stuff like that and was reading up on it more. And so when I was reading it this time, I actually went into it knowing that and started paying a little bit more attention to the way this like chapters were formatted or not like formatted, but you know, like the structure of the chapters and how things ended and things like that. And you can it definitely feels like in this book more than some of the others, from what I can remember, um, that there's like a little bit of that like chapter cliffhanger or like slight reveal at the end of a chapter. And I could see it like working very well as like a serial based story and things like that. Um, But yeah, this very much is like, encapsulates a lot of what Perot books would be like. So I feel like if you haven't read any Agatha Christie before or haven't read any of the Perot ones specifically, this would be a good one to start with. But this is definitely not the best one in the set. Um, I think even like, Katie, you might agree with me with saying like Murder on the Orient Express is significantly stronger. Like you can definitely tell that this is her debut novel. Um, There are a lot more characters in here than it feels like there needs to be, in my opinion. Um, And so I feel like you can... see that like Agatha Christie still like getting her footing in terms of being a mystery writer but from where she starts she starts off at a very strong point at the same time like I don't think reading this book it's easy to necessarily see like who did it or like how all of the people end up being involved and things like that so I feel like it's still a very very strong mystery and very strong whodunit but it definitely is clear that this is the first novel that Agatha Christie has written because it's it's still a little shaky like I feel like even as someone who's not like a Perot fangirl like there are better Perot novels out there for sure but I think again this is very much like encapsulates perfectly what this subgenre of mysteries would be like and if you're someone who you know loves whodunit novels like Agatha Christie is the queen of them so yeah I had a lot of fun rereading it and just sort of seeing how things sort of you know, are layered into the story and things like that. Um, I think like Agatha Christie definitely holds up. And I'm sure that like Agatha Christie is the type of writer that a lot of people might be interested in reading right now if you're like into those cozy comfort sort of mystery books, but don't want something too cozy. I feel like Agatha Christie strikes a nice balance of like being a little bit cheeky with her writing. So like there's a little bit of fun in there, but you know, people are still getting murdered. (laughs) But it's not like super dark and depressing either. So yeah, I feel like Agatha Christie has always been that like nice balance for me too. And even you know, her sh- stories are short enough. So like sometimes I even just use her books as like almost a palate cleanser. Like I had another Agatha Christie book that I actually was planning on reading re- relatively soon that I haven't read before, but then we ended up reading this one. But I feel like when I can't figure out what I'm in the mood for, I'll just pick up an Agatha Christie book because I know what I'm getting into with those books almost. And it's like a nice refresher. And like, for the most part, Agatha Christie books are pretty strong. Um, So you're not really going into it with like a bad experience or anything like that as well. So that's another reason why I love her book so much. So yeah, I really, I mean, I love Agatha Christie books and I really enjoy this one as well. Again, not my favorite, but a good, very good starting point, especially since, you know, it's the first one. Yeah, I was um, talking to Blaine this evening as I was frantically trying to finish the ebook before we recorded, which I did. Woohoo! Um, but I was I was telling him and I was reiterating a lot of the points that I made, and I was just like, "It is so different from the books that I normally read." And he was like, "Well, 
yeah, you he's like, you read really dark and disturbing stuff, like, that's all about the psychological and the why and the characters. And he's like, this is much more of, like, you know, the the, the detective and the mystery. And then, and, you know, when he said that, that was, I think I have had this realization on the podcast before, but the types of mysteries and suspense novels that I am drawn to aren't as much focused on the the puzzle of the mystery. It's much more on the characters and their actions and like secrets and that and that kind of thing rather than on yeah, actually figuring out who did it. And just as a quick side note to your comment, you're like, Poro's a little obnoxious. He when he has he has so many moments where it's where the, the narrator is like, well, well, tell me what you're thinking. And he's like, no, I'm not going to tell you. Or he's like, I'll tell you half the things I'm thinking about, but the rest of it I'm going to leave until later. And people who, I mean, and not, I'm not even talking about like characters like Poirot or Sherlock Holmes or anyone like that. I'm just talking about people in everyday life who like, if you're talking to them and you need to get information out of them and they are purposely only giving you partial information of what you need or they're not answering your question, drive me up a wall. <laughs> so like I kept thinking of when I was growing up and I would ask my dad a question and he either, and he would either answer it in a really roundabout way because he had a lot of information that he wanted to tell me before before he answered the point of my question, or he wanted to, like, get me, like, I'd ask him, why is this doing this? And he would, like, have I'll immediately have, like, a science lesson in his head about why this was happening, and he wanted me to figure it out for myself, when really, I just, like, I just want a five-second answer, why are you doing this to me? So I think part of it com- comes from that, but yeah, half the book, I was just like, well, you just answer his question already, good lord. <laughs> So, like, like I said, some of, some of my reactions to these books take them with a grain of salt. I'm coming from a very different perspective. But I think it's funny because, like, if you're coming to these books as an adult, you're coming to them, like, with that, you know, sort of background and things like that. So I think there are a lot of readers who, if you they haven't read Agatha Christie before or maybe just haven't read, like, a Perot or anything like that, like, you're going to have that experience with him and, uh, you know, your mileage may vary in terms of how much you enjoy it. Yeah, you hear, and you hear about so many readers, like, reading Agatha Christie, like, when they're, like a preteen yeah. or, you know, in, in high school or something, like, you know, when they're still you know, kind of forming their reading habits and their reading preferences and stuff like that. So I think I definitely missed that boat. Um, and I, like I said, I appreciate them for what they are. They're just tip, not typically what I go to when I'm looking for something to, when I'm looking, looking for, for something to read. But it was, it was definitely an interesting experience. For sure. So yeah, that's uh, our quick talk about uh, Mysterious Affair at Styles. Again, there'll be a link in the show notes to uh, the Agatha Christie website and their uh, page about the 100 years of Agatha Christie uh, celebrations and things like that. So definitely check that out if you're an Agatha Christie fan, if you haven't already. And feel free to let us know, you know, if you've read Agatha Christie before, your thoughts on her books and, you know, what you think of Perot in general. If you think he's obnoxious like we do, feel free to let us know. Or maybe this will inspire you to pick up The Mysterious Affair at Styles and definitely let us know what you end up thinking of it. All right. So with that, we're going to change tracks completely. And I've got a buttload of new releases for this episode. Like I had such a hard time picking which books I wanted to talk about. And I still had to leave off a couple. So yeah, prepare your TBRs. First up, 
Uh, we have A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCrate, which is out today on May 5th. Um, Kimberly McCrate wrote the book Reconstructing Amelia, which was published in like 2013, something like that. If you have not read that book, do so. I loved it. And um, I've read um, her other book, which of course the title is, is escaping me at the moment. But anyway, when I saw she had a new book coming out, I was super excited. So the book is A Good Marriage. And it follows Lizzie Kitsakis, who is working late at a law firm. And she's been working grueling hours, which she knows are standard, um, but they would be easier to swallow if she was really there voluntarily. Until recently, she had been a happily underpaid federal prosecutor. And between that and her devoted husband, Sam, she had everything that she'd ever wanted. And then it all fell apart. Um, on the surface, it looks like this might have been sudden, but Lizzie knows that long ago there were cracks starting to show in her marriage. Um, she was just good at avoiding it. And so as she's working, the last thing she needs right now is a call from an inmate at Rikers asking for help. Um, however, this inmate is actually an old friend of hers named Zach Grayson. Um, Zach is in, um, he is in prison because well, he's in prison, but his wife has been found dead at the bottom of their brownstone in Brooklyn, and Zach is the primary suspect, and so he reaches out to Lizzie for help. And as she is drawn into the, basically the heart of Zach and his wife Amanda's marriage, she realizes that they were not what they seemed, and that their friends, um, a close-knit group of fellow parents at the exclusive school that their children attend, might be protecting some troubling secrets of their own. And in the end, she's left wondering not only whether her own marriage can be saved, but what it means to have a good marriage in the first place. Um, so again, that is A Good Marriage by Kimberly McCrate. Um, it is out now. So um, I definitely recommend picking this one up. I actually have an arc of this one that I need to, that I need to read. Um, but I am super excited to dive into that one. And next, we have Seven Years of Darkness by Yu Zhang Zhang, which is also out today on May 5th, so you can pick this one up as well. The book starts off with a young girl who is found dead in Suryong Lake, um, which is a reservoir in a remote South Korean village. And as the, the police immediately begin their investigation, but at the same time, three men... Um, the, the girl's father, whose name is Yongji, and two security guards at the nearby dam, each of which, or each of whom has something to hide about the night of the girl's death, find themselves in an elaborate game of cat and mouse as they race to uncover what happened to her without revealing their own closely guarded secrets. And then after a final showdown at the dam results in a mass tragedy, one of the guards is convicted of murder, sent to prison, and for seven years, his son lives in the shadow of his father's shocking and inexplicable crime. And everywhere he goes, there's a seemingly concerted effort to reveal his identity as this mass murderer's son. But when he receives a package that promises to reveal at last what really happened at Sir Young Lake, um, the son must convict confront a present danger he never knew existed. So this book has like mystery upon mystery upon mystery and all kinds of layers and secrets over time. And this one sounds super, super, super twisty. So again, this is Seven Years of Darkness by Yu Zhang Zhang. And this is out on May 5th. So you can pick this one up. Um, you can order this one online since bookstores are not yet open. 
And the next two books are out next week on May 12th. So the first one of those is The Boy in the Red Dress by Kristen Lambert, which is a young adult historical mystery, which the synopsis describes as a gentleman's guide to vice and virtue meets Miss Fisher's murder mystery. Um, it takes place on New Year's Eve in 1929. Millie is running the show at the Cloak and Dagger, which is a speakeasy in the French Quarter in New Orleans while her aunt is out of town. All of New Orleans is out to celebrate the new year, but even wealthy partiers' diamond earrings cannot outshine the real star of the night, the boy in the red dress. Marion is the club's star performer, and his fans are lesion, if mostly underground. So when a young socialite comes around with a photograph of Marion and starts asking questions, Millie wonders if it's always oh, just another fan. But then her body is found dead in the courtyard. It looks as though she fell off the club's balcony, and all signs point to Marion as the murderer. Millie knows he's innocent, but local detectives are not so easily convinced. So Millie is trying to clear Marion's name, um, and so she is, her attention is divided between the beautiful Olive, who is a waitress at the Cloak and Dagger, and Benny, the charming bootlegger who's offered to help her solve the case. So lots of really interesting characters in this historical mystery. And it just sounds like such a fun twist on the traditional historical mystery. Um, so I'm really excited to get a chance to read this one. So again, that is The Boy in the Red Dress by Kristen Lambert. And that is out on May 12th. And then finally, um, we have the first book in a new cozy mystery series. So if you're looking for a new series to start, this one would be a really interesting one to pick up. It's called A Deadly Inside Scoop by Abby Collette, um, out on May 12th. And this, like many cozy mystery series, there's kind of a running theme um, for the series. This one is the fact that it's set in an ice cream shop. So Bronwyn Cruz is a... She's recently gotten her MBA. She's taken over her family's ice cream shop in Ohio, and she's going back to basics. Um, so everyone calls her Wynn, but she's uh, renovating the Cruise Creamery to restore its former glory, filling the menu with homemade ice cream flavors that a lot of them are from her grandmother's original recipes. Now I'm getting hungry again. <laughs> um, but unexpected construction delays mean that she misses the summer season, and the shop has a literal cold opening. The day she opens her doors, an early first snow descends on the village and keeps the customers away. Living in Chicago, I can relate. <laughs> but to make matters worse, that evening, Wynne finds a dead body in the snow, and it turns out that the dead man was a grifter with an old feud with the Cruz family. So... Soon, Wynne's father is implicated in his death, and so she has to try and clear her father's name while juggling this new business that she's that she's helping to take on. So with the help of her quirky best friends and her tight-knit family, she will do her best to catch the ice-cold killer before she herself has a meltdown. So again, this is called A Deadly Inside Scoop by Abby Collette. This is out on May 12th, and again, this is the first in a new cozy mystery series. And then finally, I've got a bunch of honorable mentions that I wanted to make note of for popular authors that you'd probably be interested to know have a new book out, um, but we just don't have time to cover in depth. So 
first up, Death in the East by Abir Mukherjee, um, which is out today on May 5th. This is the third in the Wyndham and Banerjee series, um, historical mystery series. Rincey, I know you've, have you read the first two? Yeah, I read the first book in the series. I have the second book and I never read it, but yes, I read the first one and I really enjoyed okay. it. <laughs> I, I'm, I must be thinking of when the second book came out. We covered it in the new releases. So anyway, if you've been keeping up with the series, the third book is out today. After that, we have The End of October by Lawrence Wright, May 12th. This book has been getting a ton of attention because it has... The author really did not mean to, but kind of predicted our current pandemic situation with this fictional book in a way that reviewers are going, wow, that's kind of freaky. Um, and so if you're the type of reader that likes pandemic fiction in a real pandemic, you might be interested in the end of October. It's been getting a ton of attention. Um, that's by Lawrence Wright. It's out on May 12th. Um, and then finally, uh, Scott Turow, um, who wrote Presumed Innocent, that was his big claim to fame. He has a new book out on May 12th as well called The Last Trial. And Jeffrey Deaver has the second book in his Coulter Shaw series out on May 12th as well. That is called The Goodbye Man. So now we'll wrap things up with our, you know, rundown of books that we've been reading recently. So I'll go first. Um, so I've read two books that I want to talk about. The first one I'll just talk about briefly. I read Birds of a Feather by Jacqueline Winspear. This is the second book in the Macy Top series. I read the first book for an episode that we did back in March where we basically picked up like comfort read sort of things. And so I enjoyed that one a lot. So I decided to just like put a hold on the second book in the series, uh, put the ebook on hold, obviously at my local library. And so the hold came in and I was like, yeah, why not? Um, so I definitely think that the mystery in the second book is significantly stronger than in the first book. But I think it's partially because in the first book, you're establishing a lot of like, who is Maisie Dobbs and her history and things like that. Um, so this one, it's, going into it, assuming that you've read the first one. And it's definitely like a lot stronger on the mystery side of things. But at the same time, I also really enjoyed all of like the backstory and personal side stuff of Macy Dobbs. And there's very less of that in the second book. So I was like, oh, that made me a little sad. But anyways, still enjoying the series. I'll be continuing on. I probably won't read them like super quickly um, because I'm also remembering that I don't enjoy reading books in a series like back to back to back because it starts to feel a little bit repetitive to me, but I'll be picking up more of them for sure in the future. Um, the other book I want to talk about is a book that I absolutely adored and that's Shelter by Jung Yoon. This is a book that came out in 2016 or 2017, I don't remember exactly. But I remember so many people talking about this book. And it's not like specifically a mystery, but it is a mystery. I would say it's like a domestic suspense or thriller book. So the story starts off with you following this character named Kyung, or it's told from the point of view of this a character named Kyung, who is of Korean descent. He has married a white woman named Jillian, and they have a son together named Ethan, and they are upside down on their house and in like extreme financial trouble, like they're having a hard time paying their bills and all of this stuff. And so they have a realtor come to their house to sort of assess the home and figure out like how much they could sell it for. Um, they're living like outside of Boston. And all this stuff. So like, obviously, you know, it's an expensive area. So they're hoping that they can make just like a little bit of a profit or something like that from selling their home just to like be able to get into some sort of better situation. And while the realtor is at the home, she like looks out the window and sees that there's like a naked woman out in like 
the field behind their house. And when Jung and Jillian look out the window, they realize that it's Kyung's mother who is in the field. And so he like runs out there with a towel, like super embarrassed, being like, what are you doing? What is going on? Um, And you find out that like Kyung and his parents are in sort of like a difficult spot. Like they haven't really been talking to each other very much and things like that. But like when he goes up to his mom, his mom is like talking Korean. She's like super traumatized. Like Kyung can see that like she's been hurt really badly. And she says something along the lines of like your father, she's talking in Korean and Kyung is having a hard time sort of deciphering what she's saying. But he thinks that she says something along the lines of like your father hurt me or something like that. And so they get her home and they like call the police and it turns out that Kyung's parents were robbed and like Kyung's mom was raped by the robbers and things like that and they've been through this like really horrific experience and so their mother ends up in the hospital for a couple of days and then they end up moving into Kyung's home with Jillian and their kid and things like that and after like that point you start really diving into like the tense and sort of hidden topics about Kyung's family life and his home life. Um, He never really talked to his wife about the things that he had gone through as a kid and stuff like that. And now that they're like sort of in these close quarters, uh, Kyung is basically faced or forced to face like all of this stuff sort of head on. Um, And this book is freaking fantastic in my opinion like from page one i was like immediately hooked you can feel the tension from the very beginning and how like difficult of a situation this whole thing is gonna be um you know that like when you're reading this book that you're not really getting the full story at the beginning and you kind of like dive deeper and deeper and deeper into what is really going on um so there's like multiple like almost mystery aspects to this book because there's like the mystery of like what exactly happened with this robbery and things like that. The people are at large, but also just kind of like the truth about the robbery because it feels like even from the beginning that you're not really getting the whole truth. And then also like what exactly happened to Kyung when he was growing up that caused him to create this distance with his parents and stuff like that. Um, so I will say like trigger warnings for abuse. And obviously, like I mentioned, like the mom was raped. They don't go into like deep details about that sort of stuff but they do talk about like things that have happened in the past so trigger warnings for that but this is such a good book so if you're someone who enjoys a good like domestic suspense book i feel like this is definitely one that you should have on your list again it's not marketed as a mystery book but i feel like this is one that sort of is a good borderline literary fiction or contemporary fiction book with a little bit of suspense drawn into it i haven't i think this is like my favorite book that i've read all year um i was so taken aback by how much i enjoyed that book so again it's called shelter by jung yoon and i highly recommend it well, you sold me. Holy cow. <laughs> Immediately, I'm like, I'm adding this one to my list. <laughs> All right. So real quickly, um, well, I am pleased to say that I've had an easier time um, sitting down and reading than I have in the last few weeks. Um, I think what helped is I picked up what, Rincey, you called Agatha Christie your palate cleansers. My palate cleansers were a couple of Michael Crichton books. <laughs> um, I read... And The Andromeda Strain, and I read Congo. Um, they are both... Um, it's been a long time since I've since I've read them. Probably I last read them when I was in my early 20s. 
they are definitely dated, and there are definitely some points in there where I'm going, mm, I don't know if that's, mm, I don't know. Um, also, the Andromeda Strain, like, female characters, I think, have a total of, like, ten lines in the entire book. It's all male characters, so that was a little, eh. But it, I think it did help me break out of my rut a little bit. Um, so I have been picking stuff up a little bit easier. And then one of the books that I am picking up is a new or a, an upcoming book that we briefly mentioned a while ago. It comes out in August. It's called Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley Wyden. Um, he is a Native American author, and this is a suspense novel about about a I guess he's kind of like a private detective slash enforcer on his reservation, where basically. If justice can't be carried out by the uh, tribal police, um, people will sometimes hire him to beat the snot out of different people. Um, but he is basically hired by one of the big shots on the reservation who says that there's a drug problem coming in um, from this particular person. And so he sets out from the reservation to try and find this person and stop the flow of drugs from from coming in. Um, I'm maybe not quite a third of the way through the book. It's extremely interesting. It's very gritty, dark. It's very much got, got that like seedy underbelly kind of feel to it. So um, I'll, I'll talk more about it when I finish it, but I definitely wanted to put that out there. Um, this is a book that a lot of people are really excited about, and people who have read it have said it's excellent. Um, so yeah, again, that is Winter Counts by David Heska Wanbley Wyden. Yeah, I'm definitely one of those people who's super excited about that book. <laughs> But yeah, that is our show. Thanks so much to everyone for listening. For show notes, you can head over to bookriot.com slash listen. As always, there'll be links to all of the news items that we talked about in this episode, as well as links to all of the books. So you can definitely check that out if you are interested in more information about anything that we mentioned here today. Um, if you enjoyed the podcast, please leave us a review on Apple Podcasts so that way other people can discover our podcast and come join us in this lovely little community. If you want to send us an email with feedback or show suggestions, you can find us at rudderdead at bookriot.com. Um, like Katie mentioned at the top, we definitely love getting suggestions from you all or feedback or anything along those lines. So feel free to send us an email. Otherwise, you can find me on Twitter and Instagram. I am at Rincey A. And I'm on Twitter at KT underscore library lady. And we will talk to you all next time. Bye. Bye.